stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working well good morning why don't you guys stand with us as we sing together about God's holiness.
we stand? We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He. Together we
earth is filled. The earth is filled with His glory. Just let that sink in. And the earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Good morning, church fam. How are y'all today? Awesome. So great and privileged to be able to worship with you all, whether you're streaming online or here in person. We're just so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, here at CBC, I like to say our battle cry, our anthem is to gather, grow, and go. As a church body, we gather in life-changing worship. We also grow in life-changing truth, and because of all that, we go in life-changing mission. Uh, I have a couple of announcements for you all, and this pertains to your potential involvement in our children's ministry. Uh, right now, there are a couple of needs that Pastor Evan has. Uh, he would definitely uh, love to have one to two adults who would be interested in teaching and leading these children. He would be grateful if we had one or two adults that could help out just in general with these classes and then possibly two to three high school volunteers uh, that could serve in a variety of ways. And if that all is too much for you, he is always looking for substitute teachers as well. We all love substitutes because they help fill in when people can't be there. And so um, perhaps God is challenging you to answer that call to fill that need for our church body. Um, we also do want to turn your attention to our children's video today on the screen. This story begins after John the Baptist had baptized Jesus. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, and he fasted for all 40 days. Fasting means going without food. He began here in the harsh wilderness. Satan came to test Jesus. Satan used how hungry Jesus was to tempt him. Jesus. 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 If you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by the words of God. For the next test, Satan took Jesus up to a mountaintop and showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth in all their splendor. Look, 
all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory, the riches, and all of them will be yours. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God, only him shall you serve. Then Satan took Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, then jump. You know God's angels will save you. It is written, do not test the Lord your God. Satan left him and laid in wait for another opportunity.
I didn't come here and I went somewhere else, I probably would have ended up on the other path and making myself a decision and not keeping the pregnancy and then regretting it ultimately. Once I realized I missed my period, I went ahead, got a home test, and then it came out positive. And so from the get-go, I just was open and honest. And I told him, like, look, I know amongst everything else going on between us, you know, this is important for you to know. At first, he even denied, like, oh, that's not my kid. And he was very negative about it, pessimist. And so I think that's what also helped me to think that maybe I should keep him because my partner doesn't want to keep him. And it'd be impossible, is how I felt at the time, to do it on my own. And at the time, I thought, like, this is the end of the world for me. I didn't know what else to do. And so the easy choice for me was, oh, maybe I shouldn't keep my baby. I initially found CareNet by actually doing an online search. And so when I came here and I got to see the ultrasound, I got to look at him and really hear him, it really gave me a moment to realize that that's something I couldn't pull through. So I was very hesitant. I was worried about judgment. And it just caught me off guard that Miss Annie was very calm and comforting. And she even read me a phrase from the Bible. It made me feel a little calmer. That, you know, if Miss Annie can see good and coming out of this, if I just stay strong and I toughen up, you know, maybe I can't do it. I remember coming back like right away just to come for the ultrasound and I was so stunned when I saw the ultrasound because I couldn't believe what I was seeing but to see how far he already developed just completely caught me off guard because wow you know there's an actual kid right there I remember whenever I got to hear his heartbeat I almost wanted to cry and so I'm so grateful I even got to see Miss Andy. In a way, she saved both our lives, really. The one thing that we went back to was my parents and telling them, because I kept delaying. I was like, okay, I'll try to tell them this weekend. I just never had the courage. I couldn't do it. I was so terrified. And so at first, I thought she was going to be mad, but really, she was supportive. It made me think back, like, wow, I can't believe I thought of not keeping this pregnancy. On my day delivery, so I actually went to labor around midnight. So Oliver did not leave my side. And that was probably one of the most important bonding times I've ever had with him. And so he stayed by me the whole delivery, the whole four and a half hours, and reassured me that I'll be okay. And so in the future, me and him would like to get married and completely say we had our happy ever after. And looking at the baby and Oliver, it really made me break my own heart because I realized like, wow, I almost could have never had this. And I'm so happy that that didn't come through. I didn't go through that path. And seeing my baby every day helps remind me that the baby is because I came here to CareNet. I want to pray in a moment here on uh, this uh, Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday as we take a moment to recognize that. Uh, understand that there are uh, very few scriptures that directly address uh, life in the womb, but uh, the Sanctity of Life is a very uh, present and persistent application of scripture. Uh, and, and so when I am uh, talking about that, preaching about that, I, there are a number of things that uh, 
I need to keep in mind that I want to remind you of before I pray. Um, and uh, one is not to ignore the issue of abortion. Uh, uh, one woman uh, said that uh, after she had an abortion, she returned to Jesus and his church, but noticed that pastors uh, did not mention abortion from the pulpit. She said, maybe they thought it was helping women like me, but instead it made me think that abortion was so terrible that uh, we, you can't even discuss it in church. So not to ignore it. Another is not to overemphasize it as the issue, the main issue, as we declare the gospel of Jesus. And, um, and then to another thing to keep in mind is not to neglect speaking of grace and forgiveness to women who have abortions, I've had them to men, parents who have facilitated them, to doctors, nurses, and staff who have performed them. Uh, it's important to recognize that the reasons for abortion are complex. We saw some of that in the video. It's, it's not merely about selfishness and convenience all the time. Uh, some women are caught in horrendous situations. and almost all cases, a woman aborts because somebody she loves uh, told her that she should, and that should break our hearts. Um, in declaring that I'm pro-life, uh, I want to be consistent and care about uh, life outside the womb as well. So issues such as poverty and racism and refugees and adoption and homelessness, they're also biblically relevant. And I, I need to emphasize uh, along with you that every human being is made in the image of God and is uh, infinitely valuable. I thank God for organizations like CareNet making an enormous difference uh, in this area. So uh, allow me to pray on behalf of all of us right now. Join me, please. Father, we come to you today grieved by what we see in our country in a, a lot of ways, but a devaluing of life. We affirm with your word that all people are created by you. They're endowed with dignity and worth, and that includes those whose lives are taken in the womb. So Father, forgive this nation for perpetuating this kind of injustice. We ask, Lord, with your mighty arm, come, Lord Jesus. Father, you are the true king of this world. We pray that you'd put men and women in high places who would value life at all stages. And Lord, we ask that you'd rescue the helpless and protect the innocent. And may our nation see the horror of abortion. And may minds and attitudes be changed. We pray for crisis pregnancy centers. We pray specifically for CareNet in Cyprus and in Champions. Lord, give them resources, the volunteers they need. Protect them from spiritual harm. Guide desperate families to their doors. We pray that with your mighty arm that you would come, Lord Jesus. And Lord, give us compassion toward those who have been impacted by abortion. Compassion for those who don't grasp the, the horror of this practice. Give your church courage, not simply to be against things, but be against all injustice toward human life. Lord, bring revival. Make, make the thought of disrespecting your image bearers an impossibility as people are, are changed by the glorious gospel of Jesus. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we pray, that with your mighty arm, even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. sing this together. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty Early in the morning the sun shall rise to thee Holy, holy 
about holiness, being holy like God, uh, there's the idea of holiness as a position and holiness as practice. And I want to have you think about that for a moment. I, uh, through high school and college, had uh, a number of different jobs. And some of them, I worked in a couple of warehouses, I worked in a couple of restaurants, I worked construction, I worked in a cemetery and as a janitor and so on. Uh, but I had one uh, brief period as a security guard. And uh, I was issued a uniform, a flashlight, a whole bunch of keys, and a list of uh, what I needed to do. And so at that moment, when I had all that paraphernalia on, that was my position, that was my identity, guard. And so when I showed up for my shift from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, and carried out my duties, uh, that's, that's who I was. I lived out my position by my practice. Now, had I left the door unlocked through the middle of the night and allowed anybody who wanted to to wander in off the streets of Center City, Philadelphia, I would have been a guard in name only. Uh, if I had failed to do my rounds, if I'd slept uh, on the duty, I would not have been acting like a guard. Or consider marriage. Uh, in the 1980s, Amy and I got married, and on that day we said our vows, which by the way was September 11th, uh, we were legally, positionally, uh, husband and wife. 
And in the years since, uh, we're trying to live that out, putting into practice what it means to be married. When I fail to cherish her or listen to her or sacrifice for her, I'm kind of husband in name only then. Uh, If I don't keep myself only for her, uh, I would be positionally married, but not practically. And so when it comes to holiness, you can think of it in those ways. This is positional and practical. Positional holiness is all God's doing. Uh, That through the sacrifice of of Jesus, all who trust in him alone are declared holy. Uh, For those who believe Jesus has paid sin's penalty, uh, once for all, his sacrifice washes away sin and brings you into the family of God forever. You are now a saint. Uh, Your identity is child of God. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are positionally holy by the blood of Jesus. Then, Day after day, you live out your position by practicing holiness. Uh, You allow the Holy Spirit to control you. You turn from sin and resist temptation. When you fail, you confess. Uh, You're involved in the practice that Hebrews 10.14 calls being made holy. You're answering God's call to his people when he says, be holy because I'm holy. 1 Peter 5.16. Or 116. Uh, what does that look like now? Well, we are in this series called Becoming More Like Jesus. We are uh, going through the Gospel of Luke, seven different uh, scenarios in the life of Christ uh, where we can learn what it means to be more like Him, to grow in our godliness. And uh, this morning, the focus as we continue in the Gospel of Luke is holy like Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 4. And uh, this is the the scene where uh, Jesus is tempted by the devil, and we see how he had victory and how he stayed holy. And we can learn from that. Uh, There are some principles that I want to point out to you from uh, Jesus' temptation and his response that uh, will help us to live holy lives, to uh, resist temptation as well. Uh, The passage begins this way, uh, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I want to remind you that this incident is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, and here in Luke's as well. It's a very important event in the life of Jesus, and it immediately follows Jesus' baptism. That's also extremely significant in the life of Jesus. Uh, So at that baptism of Jesus, there God the Father identified publicly, this is my son, I'm pleased with him. And the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. And then uh, in the power of the Spirit, he's led out. he's, He's pushed out into the desert to this temptation. Now, understand at this point, uh, the eternal Son of God is now declared in front of the public that that's who he is. His identity is made known. This is the Son of God. That's his position, his identity, the Holy One of God. Uh, And now, if you are in Christ, that's your identity too. If you have put your trust in Jesus alone, uh, you also are uh, positionally a a child of God. Now, next week, we're going to study what it means to be living in the power of the Spirit like Jesus. 
just notice that that's happening in this passage. But today we're, we're going to see, focus how the devil tempted Jesus not to live up to his identity as the Son of God. Not to live up to his position as to who he was as the eternal Son of God. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the temptation of, uh, will Jesus be diverted from his mission? Will he practically live what he positionally is in holiness? The enemy wants him to fail. And he keeps saying, prove, do this to prove you are who you say you are, the Son of God. And he tries to tempt Jesus away from obeying the Father. And Satan does the same thing to you and to me. He's your adversary. He is, Scripture says, like a roaring lion uh, seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. Uh, He's the tempter. And he tempted Jesus and he tempts us. I I want you to understand that God doesn't tempt. Uh, James 1.13 makes that clear. God doesn't tempt anyone, so don't say that. Uh, Temptation, then, comes from one of two sources. Satan or your own sinful desire. So when you face temptation, it's either because uh, Satan himself, the devil, is tempting you, or, or your own sinful desires, your own fleshliness, that's where that temptation is born in. And Satan tries to lure you uh, to disobedience. He wants to discredit your identity as a saint. That's what he's trying to do with Jesus. That's what he tries to do with us. Discredit your identity as a saint. Cause you to feel helpless and hopeless in your sin. What, that's temptation. God tests God tests. God tests to improve and approve. So let me put it this way. God uses tests to prove us. That is to prove who we are. Satan tempts to disprove us, to make us doubt and fear. God is using tests to improve us and approve us. Satan has the opposite. So when Jesus was led into the desert, it was a God-ordered test. But the devil was the tempter. Uh, The Father's aim was to uh, certify Jesus. The devil's aim is to discredit Jesus. So so the the devil used this time Jesus was starving in the wilderness to try and divert Jesus from his mission and discredit his identity. And how Jesus responds to this models how you can resist and I can resist and be holy. So after 40 days of danger, loneliness, deprivation, the devil spoke. He says in verse 3, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now the text made it clear, Jesus is legitimately hungry. Yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. And 40 days, by the way, is about the upper limit that a human being can go without food. Some have lived longer, some died shortly thereafter, but 40 days is about that upper limit. Uh, and, and the devil tempts him by saying, as God's son, don't you have the power and the right to satisfy your needs? And he points to a single stone. Turn this stone into bread. Give, use your powers to get what you need. And that's how Satan tempts us too. He, he tries to twist our perspective. The enemy whispers, if you're God's child, he wouldn't want you to suffer. Why are you suffering? God wouldn't want you to come out second best. He wants you to have the best. Do this. You deserve it. Uh, Take that. It's only fair. Go ahead. You're entitled to be happy. So let me point out to you what's happening here. That you are constantly tempted to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. That's what Satan was doing to Jesus. That's what Satan does to us. That's how he tempts us. 
There are real needs that you and I have, and Satan wants us to, to, to go about solving them the wrong way. Now let me give you a few examples or areas. Take sexuality. Uh, most of us have a sex drive. We, we uh, have sexual desires. And the temptation comes to satisfy those desires in the wrong way illegitimately in some way, against God's law in some way, whether it's uh, uh, casual hookups or porn addiction or straying outside your marriage or a whole bunch of ways. There are legitimate needs of sexual desires, and Satan wants you to fulfill them in wrong ways. Or take stress relief. I mean, who among us doesn't have stress? Our work situation or lack of work, our health, uh, a virus, uh, uh, our schoolwork, our relationships or politics or all kinds of things that bring stress into our lives so that's a very real thing we need relief from that stress and and we are tempted to go about relieving that stress or addressing it in wrong ways abusing alcohol overspending overeating social media rants to get our rage out that's satan's tempting or the need for significance don't you want to feel significant as if you matter to someone? Uh, we, we have that desire. We want people to care about us. And, and so we can go about getting attention in the wrong ways. We can go about trying to feel significant in the wrong way. might be telling stories that exaggerate your importance or name dropping or giving gifts to impress other people or to obligate them to pay attention to you. Or you get involved in everything. You say yes to everything and, but in order to please people or to be appreciated. Or maybe you want to project spiritual maturity. And so you do that by showing off your Bible knowledge. You humble brag about your devotional life. Is that, is that what your Instagram feed is about, is bragging about your devotional life? It's a, it's a very temptation. To, 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 I want to be significant. And so we make ourselves in a wrong way. And the enemy wants to entice you to meet real needs in wrong ways. So it's important to check yourself and reflect and evaluate and ask, why am I doing this? What need am I trying to meet? So the devil challenged Jesus to act for himself rather than be God-dependent. And Jesus countered with Scripture. He said, uh, man does not live by bread alone. Uh, and in saying that, he is quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3, which references the 40 years Israel spent wandering in the desert. And during that time, God provided for them. Uh, and he fed them manna, something that was completely unknown to them before. And by quoting this phrase, Jesus is declaring his trust in God's sustaining power, the only indispensable source of life. The Father sent him to this wilderness, and so the Father will provide in that place where he was sent. The passage continues, verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So this is an offer of wealth and power in exchange for worship. Satan is presenting Jesus a shortcut to glory. I mean, the whole reason Christ came to this earth was to rescue us from Satan's dominion, his domination. 
Satan is the prince of this world. Everyone born into this world is born enslaved to sin and are citizens of his kingdom. From birth, we belong to the dark side. By Jesus' entrance into this world, his invasion of our world, uh, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, Jesus sets free all those who believe in him and brings them into his kingdom. As Colossians says, he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into the kingdom of light. That's what Jesus has done. And in order to do that, Jesus left the wonder and the glory of heaven to carry out the plan of salvation. Jesus had his, his glory and his power veiled in human form in order to come to this earth and bring us life, salvation. And Satan offers to return Jesus to this, this power and glory by skipping the pain and agony that was ahead, the cross. He invited Jesus to bypass the suffering and go right for the reward. All Jesus had to do was worship the wrong God worship something else and satan attracts us with the same lure let me put it this way you are constantly tempted to trade the ultimate for the immediate trade the ultimate for the immediate uh, let's say you want to succeed at your job i mean who doesn't they have a job you want to succeed you want to pay raise you want better things for your family so you take on every possible extra assignment that you can do. You work longer hours. You do whatever possible to get the, the bigger bonus, the greater market share, the better title, the early retirement, the larger office, whatever. And, and then as you pursue that, your marriage struggles. Your children suffer. Your spiritual life shrivels. And whether you want to admit it or not, the, the passion of your heart is more about position and money and success and what you've done is you've traded the ultimate for the immediate or maybe you're a student deep down you want to follow Jesus in fact a couple of years ago you got baptized you were unashamed to identify publicly with Jesus declare your faith but more recently you're hiding that fact when you're hanging out with your friends you keep your faith quiet you avoid doing anything that, that might make you stand out as different or, or highlight some belief that conflicts with what your friends think. Because you want approval. You want to fit in. And so you trade your identity as a disciple for the immediate satisfaction of acceptance. And that's how Satan lures and tempts all of us. Uh, he offers us an immediate kingdom. He says, enjoy this now. Don't worry about later. Care for yourself first. Don't think about those other people. Uh, what, what you feel right now is what really matters. Deal with the consequences later. And so you make financial decisions based on immediate gratification rather than ultimate truth. You spend time on what brings immediate pleasure rather than what has e e ultimate value. You make life choices based on what feels best now rather than trying to fulfill your ultimate purpose. And notice how Jesus deals with this temptation. Verse 8, he answered, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Again, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. And there it refers to the time how Israel is cautioned not to forget the Lord. They're going to go into a place where they're surrounded by people of all different cultures, all different gods, all different practices, and they said, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the one you're to worship. Don't go after these false gods, Israel. Remember, it is there's one God, and he alone deserves your worship and service. Now let me tell you that Satan will always try to distract you and me with other gods. 
And those other gods can be very good things. Uh, he, he tempts you to honor people, honor things, honor ideas above the Lord. It, it might be family or friends or stuff or comfort or health. And, and so Satan uh, dangles these immediate treasures in front of you to, to get you to veer away from holiness, to veer away from worship of the Lord alone. And let me help you identify your gods, because we all struggle with those things. We have to be asking ourselves, is this too important to me? Whatever you see as the person or thing you can't live without, that is who or what you worship. Whatever person or thing it is that you can't live without, that is who or what you worship. Anything that you find fully absorbing, highly attractive, all-consuming, the enemy uses that and says, hey, look at this. Look at this. Come over here. That's what he did with Jesus, so he does to us. And now the final temptation, verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. So he takes him to the top of the temple. The pinnacle there would be about 450 feet off the ground, quite a distance. And this time it's not about offering wealth and power. It's about presuming on God's promise of protection. And you notice, Satan can quote Scripture too. He knows the Bible as well. After hearing Jesus respond to these other temptations with Scripture, uh, the devil tries this approach. And spouting Bible verses does not mean you are declaring God's will. Uh, Satan quoted this verse out of context, and he left out a few words as well. Uh, false teachers do that. Well-meaning but misguided people do that. Self-seeking manipulators do that. Uh, and what Satan tries with Jesus, he also tries with us. And here with, here's what that looks like. Here's what it looks like. You are constantly tempted to manipulate God. Now just think through that for a moment. This constant temptation to manipulate God, to use him for our own ends, to, to, to use God self-centeredly for my own needs. What this does is it takes a promise of God and it demands that he keep that promise on your schedule by your terms. It's really an attempt to control God. And one of the ways this happens is that you get in a predicament of your own making, uh, your own sinful choices, you get stuck, and then you yell for God to bail you out. That's what that looks like. Uh, some might call it a step of faith. Really, it's just a bold-faced attempt to manipulate God. So the enemy whispers things to you like, Go ahead and sin. God will forgive you. He's promised he would. Uh, it doesn't matter what it costs. You get it. You deserve it. God will provide. Uh, some pastors and some ministries set these lofty fundraising goals and say God will provide simply because this is being done for him. That may or may not be true, but it's, uh, it's, some of those declarations are, are just really an attempt to control God rather than trust him. I've seen Christians do that with businesses they've started or ministries they've begun. It's presuming on the promise of God. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 12, he answered, It is said, 
you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So again, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy. Here, it's reminding us when Israel demanded a miracle. Because they're in the desert. Uh, They have needs. And they were demanding that God provide. And He didn't provide in the time they wanted or the way they wanted. And so what they, they threatened to kill Moses. It's tough leading God's people sometimes. We'll take Moses out. We'll go back to Egypt. Things were better in Egypt than they are here. You dragged us out to the desert. And so they're demanding, they're presuming on the promise of God. Putting God to the test is when you bargain. And you say, God, if you do this, I will do this. Or God, if you don't do this, then I'll do this. It's a bargaining. It's claiming God's promise for your own convenience. It's making an inappropriate demand of God. And it might seem like a, a, a sign of great faith, but it's really unbelief. It, it's a, whatever version of jumping off a ledge and expecting angels to float you gently to the earth. And Satan is constantly tempting you to bargain with God, to, to use him like a vending machine rather than master of the universe. Any hint that you are treating God like a genie in the bottle is the work of Satan. And so it's very important that that you and I examine our lives and make sure that's not how we are using the promises of God, that that we are not putting him to the test in any way. Rather than demanding God answer your wishes, you should fall face down and pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, to honor him as sovereign in his universe, trust him to know what's best for your life. And look how the passage ends. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So he tempted Jesus in a variety of ways, perhaps even more than we have listed in Scripture. But it was not the last time he would tempt Jesus. No, he he didn't make it this time, but he's going to come back at another time. He, He came at Jesus at a point of great weakness during starvation, deprivation, loneliness, And Jesus passed. And Satan's going to come again. Tempt him again. And he will return to tempt you as well. And me. Because living out your holiness is not a one-time event. Practical holiness is something that needs to go on day after day. Satan means to entice you away from holy living. And every temptation you face to give up or give in, to lust, to hate, to cheat, overindulge, overspend, overreact, boast, refuse to submit, uh, faces you with a choice. And that choice is, will you live up to the holiness God calls you to, to your identity in Christ or not? And if you belong to Jesus, you have the power to resist. The Spirit of God living in you gives you the strength and wisdom to be holy. The eternal Son of God Himself faced great temptation, and in the power of the Spirit, He resisted and was obedient to the Father. And let me put it this way whatever temptation Satan dangles in front of you, resist, and you will grow in holiness. That's what we see happening here. The enemy wants you to think that you're missing out, that you deserve better. He tempted Joseph to sleep with the boss's wife. He tempted Peter to deny he ever knew Jesus. He tempted Job to reject God when his life fell apart. He tempted Mary's fiancé to divorce her quietly because she was pregnant. I don't know what he'll put in your path 
today or tomorrow. But whatever it is, resist and Satan will leave. Resist temptation and you will be holy like Jesus. And when you fail, and you will fail just as I do, Jesus is the only one as the perfect Son of God who never failed. But when you fail, repent. Admit your sin. Turn from it. And receive the forgiveness of God will faithfully cleanse, purify you from all unrighteousness through Jesus, 1 John 1, 9. And at that moment, when, when you confess your sin as a, a believer, at that moment, you will be holy like Jesus. Your position and your practice will match. You will live out your identity in Christ, a saint a temple of the Holy Spirit, a child of God. Resist temptation, and you'll be holy like Jesus. I want to invite you to join me in a prayer of confession now. And uh, I ask you to stand where you are, and uh, we will invite you to pray together. Uh, This first screen says all. On the next screen, there is a part that says leader. I will pray that, and then we will finish with the few lines after also marked all. So if you can, if you are ready to do so, this, use this as a means of confessing to the Lord and uh, seeking His holiness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, forgive our sins, the sins of the past week and the sins of this very day, the sins we have committed openly and the sins we have kept secret, the sins of trying to please others and the sins of trying to wound them, the sins resulting from ignorance, and the sins resulting from knowledge. Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Guide us in your way, Lord. Teach us to trust you above all else. Empower us by your Spirit to be holy as you are holy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.
benediction. Now, may God Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will surely do it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.